Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. Today, I'm in conversation with Yuta Eckstein. Yuta works as an independent coach, consultant and trainer based in Germany. Over the years, she has helped many teams and organizations worldwide to make an agile transition. She also has a unique experience in applying agile processes with medium to large sized distributed organizations and mission critical projects. She is also an author and a co-author of many books, the most recent being a book titled Company-Wide Agility with Beyond Budgeting, Open Space, and Sociocracy. She also is a member of the Agile Alliance, having served on the board of directors. Today, she shares her origin story of starting as a product engineer with an interest in software development, or actually starting as a trained teacher. And when the need for teachers dropped, went on to study product engineering and slowly learning computer languages such as Pascal and Assembler and completely falling in love with software development. How being part of professional communities such as Oopsla got her an orientation on the techniques and practices that got crystallized as agile practices later. And how this also helped her transition from an engineer to a coach and discovering her strength based on a trigger by her project manager. Moving into areas of architecture and design and becoming a team coach. The difference between a consultant and coach roles is also something that she shares. Then going to school again to study business coaching and change management to get a formal understanding and foundation in these practices and how that enabled developing connections with people across various industries. She talks about the importance of listening and going in with your experience and leveraging the expertise of the team, how she prefers to start with a retrospective and by asking a few questions, zero in on what is the problem that needs to be solved. Listen on. Hi, Yuta. Welcome to the Software People Stories. Hi, Shiv. Great to see you. Yeah. Uh, this is a story that has been uh, on my mind for a long time, but somehow we couldn't get to uh, you know, schedule this earlier. Uh, so for the benefit of our listeners, why don't we start with your origin story? You call yourself a computer scientist and you're a, an agile coach, helping individuals, organizations, and so on. And you also have some interest in sustainability and other topics. So how did this all come about? So first of all, I'm a, an engineer. So I'm a product engineer. I'm not a computer scientist. However, in my studies as a product engineer, I already um, put a focal point on software development. And 
You know, this question is really interesting because I'm not really sure where to start. So studying um, or making the master's degree as an engineer was already my second study. So at first I, uh, I made a BA as a teacher. So I'm a trained teacher indeed. And um and finished that and everything. But at the time in Germany, this is where I'm based, um, there were no teachers needed. So I had to think about something else, what, what to do. And so I, I started doing this product engineering. And um, part of the product engineering thing was that we had in the foundation course to, to do um, like basics in software development. I think we did something like Laurent Pascal and, and had to do like whatever. And I completely fell in love. <laughs> really, I, I, I had so much fun programming and I thought this is great. And I also thought about changing the, my, the topic of my studies again. <laughs> But then I thought, well, it's already my second one and maybe this is not good. How does it look in my CV and so on? And so I tried, just tried to put a focal point during the product engineering studies on software development. So this is kind of how I started getting into IT. However, what was also part of that product engineering study was that I also got trained as a pollution control commissioner on ecological environmentalism so you asked about the sustainability so this also was kind of founded in this second study well i was interested in environmentalism already but more like on a private personal level for example um protesting on the streets against ac train or whatever was was up there at the time um so this is Kind of, yeah, but very, very basic where I was coming from. And then my first job was as a software developer. And um, so I I programmed in, in various languages. So as I said, I started with Pascal. I also did some assembler, which I actually loved because you see the results right away. That's <laughs> what I really thought is fantastic. Versus if you are looking at any business kind of language then you have more the thing of data in and data out and nothing really happens where versus with assembler a light switches on or something like this so i thought this is cool um yeah so then i moved on to c plus plus and then to small talk which was or is my all-time favorite programming languages and yeah and then i did a little bit of java However, during my small talk times, and now I really don't know how long I should talk about this, <laughs> but during my small talk times, I um, well was on the one hand, obviously in the small talk community, and we were, yeah, just a, a group of people who met and had a, met at conferences and so on, like at Uppsala or so, and also, what was very well connected with that community was the design patterns community or the patterns community. So I was very much involved in that. And both of these are actually kind of, I would say, are the origin of Agile. And you could see that because, for example, both Scrum and XP 
have been like the first experiences with those have been made with small talk product mm-hmm. development. And then also the first publications were as pattern languages. So those two things kind of got together. And this is also why I almost naturally stumbled over it. I think it was like 97 or so. So really, mm. you can tell I'm I'm not that young anymore. <laughs> sure. No, definitely, this triggers a lot of questions that I can relate to many of the things that you, you know, talked about, like small talk and all that. I don't know how many people today would even know what small talk is. Yeah. 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 That's a good yeah. question. Well, and, and maybe we should clarify that. So it's not what people do at parties where they hang around and do small talk. So small talk is a really super cool programming languages language. It, it does still exist. Some people are still programming with it. Um, maybe Squeak is better known by now. I'm not sure, which is kind of a um, learning beginner's language. At least this is how it's sometimes looked at. And it's a, a, a deviation of small talk. Let's put it this way. Yeah, yeah because I learned programming first on Fortran and then in Assembler. Yeah, and mm-hmm. then from there, getting on to even languages like uh, COBOL, which are highly abstracted, to yeah. more of embedded kind of work and all that. And you did mention that um, you know the origins of Agile came from this. But I guess, yeah, small talk being a kind of a generative language, you can just keep adding to that. And then uh, what blew my mind at that time was the ability to recurse, write something, and then uh, kind of invoke that again. To kind of solve a reasonably mm-hmm. complex problem. I mm. think the first one I solved was this eight queens on a chessboard. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so from there, you're uh, beginning to program. How was the transition into coaching, which probably leveraged some mm. of your teaching abilities? Mm-hmm. That's also a good question. So, and it, it's actually a, kind of a simple answer. That was around. 98 so which was also the year when I got independent and in that year um, I was working on a as a software developer on a on a product and I was there maybe for three months or so when the project manager walked up to me and said Yuta I don't know what it is but since you are here things have changed for the better and not sure kind of what you are doing. And that made me think. So it made me think maybe I'm offering something else in addition to working as a software developer. And maybe this is something I want to build up on and and do more of. And, and that was really that project manager who triggered that thought beforehand. I wasn't really sure about that. I, I kind of felt, and that's unfortunate on the one hand, I kind of felt that um, I will probably not stay being a software developer for the rest of my life. Mm. And and it's unfortunate because I know this for more people and I think we need more really experienced developers and not everyone should move on to do something else. And I'm a not a good role model here because I did that. Um, and just 
just happened that way. However, so the project manager said that and and I I thought about what could I do and, and what else. And then it was again the year where I also got independent at first still as a software developer. Then I moved on a bit more in the direction of architecture and design. And and then the next thing was really more I would say like a team teams coach. Mm-hmm. And and so it was really a, a stepwise approach by looking into what is it actually that I'm offering and, and what is it that helps people besides, for example, creating code. And um, yeah, so it, it was really that one person. And perhaps this is one of the things that sometimes we get feedback from people unexpectedly and, and out of the blue and I'm not sure if we are always listening. And for whatever reason, at that point, I listened. And and definitely, I'm. I also am not always listening. Maybe as careful as I did in in that case. And I think we should do this more often. And then also reflect on what we are hearing, and then maybe come up, yeah, with an idea based on that. So did that require? Any uh, reset of your own thinking? As an engineer, we probably tend to be very specific and want a lot of details. But getting into helping others, probably there are a lot of fuzzy things, softer aspects, like you mentioned, listening. Uh, mm-hmm. What was that transition mm-hmm. for you? Mm-hmm. I never thought about it. <laughs> so it's a great question. <laughs> and And I think it really took quite some time. And I would also say, so um, after after this transition from development, architecture design towards a coach, there was more an intermediate step, which was more me being a consultant before really being a coach. And a consultant might be closer to being engineer. I often understood myself as well as a kind of a translator because as an engineer, I often had the same vocabulary as our clients. And so I could also, in the literal sense, translate what the clients wanted to to the teams and the developers and the other way around. So in ensuring that that feedback is flowing really back and forth. Um, I definitely for a long time and sometimes I still use that because I think it, it's also a great way of, of working with people um, and for a long time it was my main way of working with people when when we discovered a problem that we first started analyzing that problem and really digging into it and, and understanding it before we came up with a solution which I think is a very very engineering approach and the longer I worked in that way, the more I also learned there are completely other ways. Maybe I don't even need to understand the problem in detail. Maybe we go for a solution-focused approach where we jump ahead and are more creative and, and, and are just thinking towards the future and not so much towards the history or backwards, I guess I should say. Um and and so I also 
read a lot about it and, and kind of learned and, and learned from others what they are doing and so on. However, there came the time where I, for for quite some years already, worked as a coach. And, and I think I, I, that was okay or maybe even good. Um, but when I thought I actually would like to to learn it, what it really is so like a, a theoretical foundation and so i went back to university again so that was my third study actually when i did uh, another master thesis in business coaching and change management independent of actual it anything it was really just like business coaching change management that well at least for me it doesn't feel like it's too long ago i think I finished maybe in 2014 or something that master's thesis. So started in, I don't know, 2011, maybe. I, I don't remember exactly. And um, that was really, really good for me. On the one hand, it was reassuring and confirming that the journey that I took wasn't completely wrong. <laughs> Actually, it was quite right with all what I've learned over time and and my self learnings and studies and and all of that. So that wasn't really I was on the right track. And on the other hand, it also gave me that theoretical foundation and also a few more additional tools and especially great connections to people outside my bubble. So again, not in software, not in actual, just general in all various ways, also age-wise and, and everything. So we were a super diverse group almost for, I'm not sure, I guess, maybe let's say almost for everyone, this was like the second study at least. So everyone okay. was there with quite some experience, which I still think is important for a coach. I think for a at least I have a hard time believing that somebody who comes out of university and starts as a coach. So I think as a coach, you need to have some really practical business experience in order to, I don't know, make, yeah, in order to be really helpful. Yeah, that's interesting. In your case, say you wanted to learn and so you took on these different topics over time and then explored that further, you understood, and then applied them. But as a coach, and particularly for change management, how do you create the right receptive mindset when you're engaging with people who are probably comfortable in the ways they've been doing things? I'm not 100% sure in which direction this goes, that, that question. That's why I'm answering in, in two ways. So the one thing is for me, my task is not creating the right mindset of the people I'm working with. Mm -hmm. However, my task is, and maybe this was more what you were aiming at, my task is coming with the right mindset myself. So I okay. have to have the right mindset. And I guess this is more what you thought of but I know that the, and, and I think it's important to clarify that because very often especially in the actual field I hear people like oh it's all about mindset and people need to change their mindset and and how do we change people's mindset and stuff like that and I'm I don't buy into that 
just to be clear about that. So it's more about my own mindset. And here we come back to how how we started that discussion. I think it has to do a lot with listening. It has to do with understanding that, well, I bring all the experience, but I'm working with the experts. So my clients are really the experts. And it's not me going there and telling them, well, whatever you did so far was very bad. You need to do something different. And not only if I, if that would be my attitude, my mindset, would it be hard, if not impossible, for them to really listen to me because they need to defend themselves? It is also wrong because they have been successful. They are on their journeys as well. And maybe they are at a, at a point where they want to make a turn or another next step or anything. But it's not that people had been failing all their lives. And now here comes Utah and tells them how not to fail. So that that's just, a, a, yeah, a wrong idea. So I'm going there with the mindset on the one hand to listen on the other hand to acknowledge their experience and acknowledge their expertise and wisdom and then work with that and um one of one of the things that i keep doing and it's it's not so much about coaching but maybe it still brings the point across um when people want to start with agile, then I know a lot of people go in and say, oh, okay, let's, we, we first need to do uh, whatever, how many days of training, and then we go on and do blah, blah, blah. And I always thought this is, this is not the right way. We should start, and that's what I do. I start with a retrospective. I start with a retrospective, what, what has worked for the people so far, because they are in their context and I don't know that context. They are the experts for that context and they know what has been working mm. and what has not been working and what was missing and what was difficult. So kind of classical retrospective questions. Mm. And that also signals to them that I'm, I'm acknowledging their experience. It's not mm -hmm. that I'm coming and saying, here's Agile and it's much better compared to whatever else you did in the past. You know, it, and, and that's the what I mean with listening and acknowledging the experience. And the same is true. It's for me a key to coaching as well. Wonderful. But when you work with an organization and looking mm -hmm. at an organizational change, you would probably have to deal with the people playing different roles, different levels of seniority. And um, I'm just trying to connect something else that you mentioned earlier about uh, being interested in patterns. Mm -hmm. As part of your initial retrospective and when you hear things from people, when you listen, uh, how do you kind of stay one step away and not get involved in the actual thought process and then being very subjective, but somewhat discover some patterns. Are there any things that have worked for you or uh, any stories that helped you suddenly discover something that was not very apparent 
when you started? I think there are like one or two questions that I often like to ask, which is, so if we talk about organizational change, then um, to be honest, I, I, I have never been to an organization for for whom this was the first organizational change. Typically, they have tried different things before mm -hmm. and had gone through several organizational changes, right? And with good and bad and, and whatever. One of my questions is that I ask them why they think that this time this will be successful. And it's sometimes surprising what they are saying. <laughs> <laughs> Another question when I feel there is this hesitation of, of getting really started, then it's more that question about, um, not sure how I really say that, but something like, what hinders you from starting now? And um, often they they kind of like meander around, but in the end they then say, well, actually nothing. We, we don't know. Why are we not starting? Mm. That's that's the typical bottom line then. And that, that um, insight often opens up a lot. It, it kind of gets that creative flow and, and this energy is then there, whereas before they, I don't know what it is, but often people feel like we are not ready yet and, and we need to, I don't know, we need to prepare and to do whatever. And um, yeah, those, those two questions, they help me a lot. So in that process, that is the corollary question, were there any surprises that you discovered, any stories uh, because we don't want details of the organizations and so on, where uh, they probably thought that something needs to be fixed and through the process of your reflections and inquiry, you discovered that probably there was something else that needed greater attention. There's maybe one pattern that I see more often. When I asked her if she discovered anything surprising in these initial explorations, her response of a pattern that she sees in the next episode. We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the software people's stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com.